following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Okay, good morning everyone. It's so really, really great to see everybody. (laughs) Uh, Today's scripture reading is taken from the 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For different for stars differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, not knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Moses, for reading that for us. 
So we're continuing what I started last week as, uh, as I was teaching on this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and what we saw is last time is the importance of the resurrection. According to Paul, according to the Holy Spirit through Paul, without the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead, our faith is absolutely futile. It is not a nice extra. The fact that one day God will cause all the dead to rise and will judge the righteous and the wicked is core to everything that we believe. Without our expectation that due to our faith in Jesus, we will one day be raised to life and be with God forever. And as we see in the book of Revelation, the new heaven, we see the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And God comes down to earth and lives with us forever, is what the Bible teaches. And that is our expectation. Apart from that expectation, Paul tells us we should just live it up for, to, for live it up because we're going to die. Everyone's going to die anyway. And so he's stressing with the Corinthians the importance of the resurrection. And last time I was showing how Paul was saying how Jesus' resurrection and the general resurrection in the future are, are absolutely connected. You cannot really have one without the other. Jesus was raised from the dead because of the expectation of the future resurrection. Some time ago, uh, I was talking about uh, how one of the earliest wrong teachings, heresies in the church, wasn't that Jesus wasn't really God, but that Jesus wasn't really human. He only looked human. And there's some logic to it, because the more we contemplate upon how wonderful he really was and is, we could begin to think that his human nature was somewhat an illusion. He only looked human when actually he was absolutely human. He lived a life just like us. Another early wrong teaching heresy is that when he was raised, he was not given a material body. That is, whatever the disciples saw, it was, it was some, it was spiritual and it was not truly physical. And so along with that is, is the expectation of the church of the future resurrection also became that of something that would simply be spiritual and not material. And that is a heresy that is with us today. Most songs sung by the church around the world that has to do with our future expectation suggests 
an immaterial, um, somehow non-physical experience with God in the heavens. Not the experience of Jesus, who in his resurrected body was able to be touched, was able to eat, even though he was able to also go through locked doors. Can't wait. This is our expectation. A physical, though spiritual, we'll talk about that more in a moment, actual and real resurrection of the dead. That actually, according to Paul, this is one of the things that our faith is all about. In the Greek mind, as opposed to the Jewish mind, there was a a great um, negativity about the material world. In Greek philosophy, there's a tendency to think of the material creation as evil, as bad. And some people, what they did is they tried to detach themselves from the material world because it was bad. And others, as well, since we're already in this evil material body, we may as well just live it up anyway because it's all decrepit and going to pass away. That's not a biblical view of the material world. It's not a biblical view of the human body. The Bible teaches that the material world, the natural world, has been affected by sin and God's curse, but it's going to be redeemed. So let, let's get into let's get into the passage, starting again at verse 35. Paul writes, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, this might sound, when we're reading it, um, as just kind of like an innocent question. So, okay, Paul, there's this resurrection of the dead. Well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body uh, do they come? But Paul's reaction suggests to us that this is not just an innocent question. This is um, a kind of... Um, a derogatory way of asking, like, like, come on, how are the dead raised? What, what kind of body do they have? And Paul's response to this rhetorical question, or a kind of imaginary person asking this question, verse 36, he, re, he responds with, you foolish person. And this is what tells us this is not just an innocent question here. That It's actually a destructive kind of question, dismissing this possibility um, of the dead actually being raised. And by saying, you foolish person, Paul is, um, Paul is echoing Psalm 14, where we read, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so then Paul gets into his his explanation. He says, continuing in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. And so Paul goes to nature, to agriculture, as an illustration. And this idea of the seed dying more has to do with this idea of the seed goes into the ground just like the body goes into the ground. And he's saying, um, look at how seeds work. If you look at a seed, you'd never guess what its um, 
post-burial body is going to be like, but it does have a body. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as it is chosen and to each seed its own body. Now remember, he's writing to people that, you know, saying body, body, body is negative. Is negative. But not to God. This whole idea of the assigning of a body is part of God's good design. The assignment of your body is part of God's good design. You are not simply this immaterial part of you. But again, it's very common in Christian thinking to think that way. People will talk about the real you. As if you could separate yourself from your bodily existence. You are made up of all this complex, all this complexity that includes your body. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So he shifts from talking about seeds and agriculture to other kinds of bodies. And he continues this, verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So again, there's so he he starts with seeds and then moves to um, humans and other other earthly creatures. And then he's talking about the sky and the the different the different heavenly bodies. And they each have their own kind of glory. They they speak forth different things. So then he says, verse forty two. And uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. It's possible that as he, he talks about the, the glory of the heavenly bodies, he's thinking of Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3, which is one of the key passages about the resurrection in the Old Testament, where it says, <clears throat> At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so there's the idea of something different about the resurrected state and this shining like the stars, whatever that means. Paul continues, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is in, imperishable. And so just like the plant is so very different from the seed, so the resurrected body is very different from the non-resurrected body. Verse 43, it is sown, that is, the material body is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Our bodies now, because of sin and the curse, have a, a dishonoring about it. 
shame and guilt are part of the human experience. Our bodies don't function in the way that they should, and they don't simply mean our physical ailments and other weaknesses, but we know that due to sin, our bodies don't reflect the glory of God in the way that we should. But they will when they are raised. These bodies are sown in weakness. We become frail and we die. And all through our lives, our bodies are limited in what they could do. But we will be raised in power. We will be infused with all the ability that we need to be the people that God always wanted us to be. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now this is where things get a little tricky and has possibly led to some of the confusion as if Paul is saying, we now have physical bodies that you can touch and, and so on, but one day we will have spiritual bodies, like floating spirits. But that's not what this means. What's translated here as natural body is more actually the soulish body, the life that was given to creatures at the beginning of creation. It's the, it's the Greek word psyche. And it's versus a spiritual body. So it really has to do with the, the what's infused in these bodies. There was something in the way that humans were made, even without sin, that was not all that we were going to be one day. The original creation was not the, the, the goal that God had for the creation. And I don't mean in the, in the way that it started off a certain way and then quickly went wrong. It's that even prior to sin, it appears that that was not going to be the goal of what God wanted for human beings, for planet Earth, for the creation, but that he had a plan that would lead us to be fully what God wanted us to be. That whatever the experience of being a resurrected person will mean, that that was still yet to come in the experience of human beings. The introduction of sin and the curse threw a wrench into God's plan. But there was still going to be a greater glory to come with or without sin in the human experience. Continuing in verse 44, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And there's that sense of there's that, that original material experience, but there was going to be a greater one infused with spiritual power from heaven one day. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. He's contrasting Adam and the Messiah. Verse 46, but it, it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. There's something about the order of things. In the way that God first made Adam, but one day there would be a greater human experience in the person of Jesus and how his experience in the resurrection would be then shared with his people. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, 
a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Jesus, the Messiah, brings something from heaven that Adam was lacking. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So again, there's this idea that whatever Adam was created by God, there was more to come from heaven for human beings. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So our current natural condition cannot acquire what is coming. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And so while most of the people of history that have gone before us have died and, um, and have decayed, one day, one day, when the Lord returns, the dead who are already dead will rise and others of us that are still alive will be changed. And I wish I get to be one of those people. Not that it makes that much of a difference, I don't think. We'll, we'll find out more when it happens. God bless city workers. Yeah. He goes on about this experience about being changed, verse 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The last trumpet speaks of the coming judgment. And in that time, in an instant, we will be changed. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's really something to think that that which has been prone to decay will be so transformed as to become imperishable. I don't actually spend a lot of time thinking about this in terms of its details because I don't believe I slash we have the ability to picture what it would be like to be imperishable beings. But it's something that we're called to look forward to. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. So this is in fulfillment from a couple of passages, Isaiah 55, 8 and Hosea 13, 14. Death is swallowed up in victory. In Isaiah 58, sorry, Isaiah 25, 8 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In Hosea 13, 14, we read about how death is finally defeated. And Paul writes, verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So we're still under the effects of sin and just how this age that we live in works, but we're expecting a time where death will be completely defeated. So, so then Paul very quickly takes us back into our current existence and experience. And it seems that that really is what his purpose is. He's not 
simply sharing about this expectation just so that we know about what's coming in the future. We're supposed to understand what's coming in the future because how it is supposed to affect our lives now. So while we still live in a world that is so affected by sin, our expectation of what is coming for us should lead us to be able to say like what Paul says in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be encouraged now because of what we're expecting for the future. Now, I'm aware that how some people cope with this decrepit, sin-cursed life is just, well, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad it's going to work out one day. But there's supposed to be more to it. There's supposed to be more to how we understand how to navigate the decrepit age in which we live. Because there's a victory that we have now knowing that we have an expectation of a resurrected life. And this is what Paul um, gets to at the end of this chapter in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, you've heard all sorts of preachers talk about how important that word therefore is. Paul has been building an argument for one of, it's the one of the longest um, ex explanations of anything that he's ever given in this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, about the importance of the resurrection and the type of resurrection that it actually is. The fact is, a resurrection can only be of this kind. The Christians talk about the afterlife. They talk about going home. They talk about all sorts of things that detach ourselves from the creation that God so loved that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. God loves the world that he made. And he calls us to serve him in this world. And the fact that he's going to redeem this creation through the power of the resurrection should encourage us along these lines in these final words in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The expectation of our future resurrection is what should motivate us to live this life for all it's worth. God gave his son to redeem his creation, not just people who believe in him. The people who believe in him get to be part of the redemption of this creation. And so we give ourselves to God's work now in making a difference in this life in all the various ways that God gives to each one of us, whether it's in small ways, whether it's in big ways. We give ourselves to the work of the Lord knowing that it counts for something. It really counts for something. We are called to be faithful to the Lord in the things that he calls us to do. We're not called simply to wait around until it's over. 
It's not over until it's over. And it's going to be over for each of us or for all of us only when God says so. Now, one of the problems that some of us have is we think about what we used to do. And maybe we can no longer do what we used to do. Or we look at what other people are doing. And for one reason or another, we don't want to do what that other person's doing. The good news is that God's purposes for each of us are different. We can only be faithful to what God has called each of us to do for whatever whatever it is. At some point, I hope to share with you more this wonderful message that I heard from this uh, man by the name, is he's a pastor, but he works as a grief counselor, Rick Berg from Victoria, B.C. And uh, as some of you know, every Friday morning, as I'm able, I go, I'm a part of a Zoom call with the Calc pastors. And we got to hear this talk by, by Rick a few weeks ago as he was talking about living in dying. And it was actually like a, a mind changer for me to think about that as long as we have breath, we're living. That should be obvious. And the way we die is part of the way we live. And when we go through those last moments or years of our lives, they're not like those other years. But we need to live those those years, months, weeks, minutes, seconds, as best we can. But again, it's not going to be like those other years and months and minutes and seconds. They are, those dying years, months, minutes and seconds are going to be some of the most special moments of life that we ever have. And because we're expecting a resurrection, we could give all we've got to all of those moments of our lives. Whether we're children and we have decades ahead of us, if, if that's how long it takes before the Lord comes back, or some of us, we don't know. These could be the last seconds and minutes of our lives. But are we going to live them for the Lord so that when we do stand before him, we will get to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember, if you're standing next to Krista, he's not going to pull out Krista's requirements for you. He's going to be pulling out yours. Have you been faithful to what he's called you to do? That is what it's about. And no matter how easy, hard, confusing, dangerous, scary it's all been, it's all worth it because our wor- our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It isn't useless. It all counts for something. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you have given us purpose to live. And not just because it's some good philosophical good idea, but rather because this is your your good idea. You spoke the universe into creation. You placed human beings to be your image in this place. You've come in to the mess that we've made. And even though we still have to deal with this mess in so many ways, 
You've given us life. You've given us joy. You've given us meaning because you have forgiven our sins and you've conquered death. Help us, Lord, to know how to live lives that reflect your resurrection now. That the life of your Holy Spirit would be manifest in our lives. That we would live in expectation that this is just the beginning. And that you would use us to help give meaning to other people's lives. That life on earth is worth living. Because Jesus is coming. And he's bringing his justice. And he's bringing his resurrection. Help us, Lord, to be all that you want us to be at this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.